Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Proud member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Unless you're driving, then don't do that. When I see the word future, what do you picture? Do you see a utopia where technology opens up a limitless world of possibilities? Or do you see a world of growing inequality, crumbling institutions, and general uncertainty? Well, regardless of what you saw, marketers must be prepared to deal with both possibilities occurring side by side. My guest today is Shiva Mehr Husseini, a member of the Board of Directors for AAA and Chairwoman of the Marketing Futures Committee. Shiva and I discussed the effects the past few years have had on the customer journey, how much of this disruption is here to stay, and what a modern marketing playbook might look like. Let's start the show. Okay, everyone, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast virtual studio. And when I say we've got a special guest today, I mean, I cannot emphasize the word special. We have got the chairwoman of the Marketing Futures Committee, Ms. Shiva Mir Husseini, the board of directors of AAA. How are you doing? And thank you so much for coming, Shiva. Oh my goodness, Michael. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that kind introduction. I am thrilled to be here. I know we have been planning this podcast for months. It's just lovely to be able to align calendars and to start off the summer with, uh, with this conversation. I'm super excited. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, as Shiva said, this has been in the making for some time. Um, can't, can't overstate how excited I am that we're doing this. So let's go ahead and jump right in because we've got a, a lot to talk about today. But before we do, I'd like to set a little baseline with our listeners. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to join the board of directors of AAA and become an early stage investor in Emmeline Ventures? Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, and I'll try to... Um to sum it up as much as possible, because people who know me um, know that the story is, is actually one of a lengthy and eventful one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I usually introduce myself is to start uh, from the beginning and um, go back to the late 90s when myself and my family moved to the States. Um, I am an immigrant, and I'm very proud of that, like many of us who um, came to this country with lots of hopes and dreams. Uh, I am one that came to the U.S. uh, without really uh, nothing to offer except uh, potential, uh, really. And what I love about my journey over the past 20-some-odd years is a combination of uh, growth, but also a ton of, uh, you know, learnings and setbacks and uh, really have that immigrant uh, mindset and that growth mindset to be thankful for. Um, you know, coming here, um, I started actually my career, funny enough, uh, in a very different field of investment banking at uh, Goldman Sachs. And uh, I was, um, ironically, actually, uh, was serving the healthcare uh, sector by uh, doing the underwriting um, and designing financially options and swap options, essentially um, financially engineered products for some of the largest healthcare institutions in, in the country. Mm. And I found that fascinating, you know, to be able to really financier um, 
the largest institutions that you know the providers and the healthcare workers um, from uh, from my minute location in New York City. But then mm. I quickly realized that uh, that's a very narrow um, and specialized, uh, essentially, area to start off my career. I was twenty something year old. I literally just had <laughs> got fluent in English. Um, um, and I had my mathematics and kind of analytical skills to be thankful for to, to, to have started my career at a place like Goldman um, in the heart of New York. I couldn't have been more grateful uh, for Goldman to have taken a chance on me, for me to have um, really risen um, you know, uh, up the ranks to uh, have been selected after my um uh, summer internship um, to get an offer and go there. I was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, the American Stock Exchange. I came to banking from, from there. And so the reason I'm emphasizing wow. that experience, Michael, is because, and for your ris- listeners, especially, you know, early career that have gone through the pandemic, you know, there is no uh, better thing to um, start off your career in a very kind of, um, challenging and, um, uh, you know, in the midst of kind of a very changing environment, um, mm-hmm. one of which I can kind of relate to with the pandemic. Because if you do that early on in your career, the rest is easy. I was about to say the rest is a cakewalk, man. Yeah, you start on the floor of the stock exchange. It's really harder to get a little more stressful than that. Yeah, yeah, and then do so again. You know, I came here. I, I um, didn't speak much English. I didn't have um, a, a, you know a penny in my pocket, so to speak. I lost my dad to cancer a year after we arrived here, and um, you know, just bootstrap everything. And again, emphasizing that because the rest of my kind of career, um, you asked me to tell you about myself. I think that personal story is just as important. Um, mm-hmm. as as the professional one, Absolutely. because we are talking about character, we are talking about kind of the mindset. And for me, that growth mindset, that kind of um, um, nothing is impossible and, and getting into the groove of things. And I've taken, if you look at my background, and again, for your listeners, um, I have done a number of different things. Really, my career has been um, a product in iteration. I, as a person, have been a product in iteration. It's kind of a uh, product without expiration type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. always evolving and learning. Um, after Goldman, I was I went to a VC fund um, in Boston. Uh, then went to business school at Wharton. Um, like many of my peers, went to management consulting and then um, joined the strategy team at uh, Dow Jones, which is the owner of Wall Street Journal. Loved it. That was kind of my introduction to digital and digital transformation because right around that time, back in 2010 timeframe, um, you know, software was starting to eat the world, starting with uh, newspapers. You know, it was becoming kind of an irrelevant um, and irrelevant may be a strong word, but um, uh, people expected to see things online. And, um, and so I helped kind of transform um, the strategy, helped launch the, the social media strategy at, at Wall Street Journal, and, um, and then took a, a, a number of different roles. And, and some of the um, exciting ones um, 
that people might uh, recognize is, uh, you know, having joined Wafer. You know, I, I came mm-hmm. to Wafer right before we went public um, and I helped stand up the augmented reality capability and the app that I know is beloved by a lot oh, of yeah. people, including your listeners. Mm-hmm. And then um, took a, a leap of faith into uh, insurance world, you know, including life insurance and then health insurance at Mass Mutual and, and Aetna, which is now part of CVS. And so um, you name it, I've been there in terms of verticals and industries. <laughs> so true. Um, so we have a lot to talk about, but I think my uh, vantage point um, to, um, to the way I kind of applied myself to the world um, has been, you know, how do I create value for the customers? And whether it's a customer, be a... Uh, an enterprise on the B2B side or an end consumer on the B2C side. It's all about, to me at least, is about how you're creating a frictionless, uh, delightful experience that makes folks essentially access what they need, when they want it, how they want it, um, on their terms essentially, which is the world, you know, the reality of the world we live in right now. So Shiva and I have known each other for for three years now, I believe. And I knew a lot of that story, but not all of it. And it just kind of reinforces why you're uh, such a dynamic force and such a pleasure to kind of talk and converse and um, just really explore with. Uh, You've just got such a multidimensional background. I don't know. I just think it's great. I think it puts you in a very unique vantage point uh, about the thing you kind of left off on, the customer experience. And we are going to be talking about that a lot today, um, specifically in terms of the volatility that's around it, the customer experience and the customer expectations. Um, But before we jump into what's happening right now, I'd love to set the stage a little bit Can you tell me kind of your POV on where the CX uh, movement uh, or just where CX in general was headed before the COVID-19 pandemic hit? Yeah, no, I'm glad you're asking that because um, things, (laughs) things were, um, things were actually, and people think that that the pandemic really um, changed the world in terms of like how we came about um, with respect to product experience, et cetera. But the truth is, and you and I have talked about this, a lot of the ingredients were there already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, digital was really center. People were prioritizing it. We just uh, had a catalyst in the form of a pandemic, which uh, frankly was a painful one, but it, it exacerbated a lot of, and it, it brought a sense of urgency to a lot of the capabilities and toolkits that already um, were in the making, already were available. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we talk about telehealth, for example. I mean, way before the pandemic, we were, you know, at CVS, at, at Edna, we had telehealth, which just nobody used it, really. Right, right, right. Nobody cared. Um, or you think about, you know, Rx or, you know, your prescriptions, essentially the home delivery of your prescriptions. We had that, nobody cared. <laughs> and so, um, so it was, it was just, um, you know, again, uh, uh, a 
catalyst for a lot of that transformation. But I mean, you, earlier you asked me about, you know, AAA and my board role there. Yeah, there are companies that had always thought about, you know, digital and digital transformation and prioritization of that. Um, it suddenly became the top priority. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they started looking for people in that kind of, you know, skill set, which is why we saw such a large um, kind of migration to digital first uh, with respect to talent, um, mm-hmm. and then a shakeup o- overall with respect to the great resignation, because it wasn't really a resignation. It was almost uh, re- um, retooling of the workforce, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Absolutely. it was kind of a gold rush. It's not fair that just, you know, a few people have those. So a lot of people have, have taken, you know, online classes, they're retooling, they're um, going back to get, you know, nights and weekends and online kind of education to really go back. But long way of answering your question, I think um, the, the, the pandemic really exacerbated um, the need to um, really look at experience, and I'm not just talking about the customer experience, I'm talking about the employee experience, which mm-hmm. I know you care about quite a bit. You wrote Absolutely. a piece about that, um, about, um, you know, shopping experience, but also um, every experience in the value chain that exists to bring a product or service to bear from the beginning to the end. In healthcare, for example, as part of uh, my previous role at um, Aetna CVS, you know, I wasn't just focusing on the end consumer or the, you know, Medicare members or the customers. I was thinking about the provider experience. I was thinking about the broker and the agent experience. I was thinking, Mm -hmm. I mean, responsible literally for all these different constituents. And again, the pandemic really turned things around and everybody wanted the most advanced, the most personalized, the most frictionless um, experience because there's a lot at stake. And and to replace or even augment an in-person experience uh, is a very difficult one. Um, Mm And so, I mean, that's a long way of saying, you know, the pandemic really uh, played a significant role, but that the the ingredients existed, like I said. I think what's happening as we emerge out of the pandemic, if we can ever really emerge out of the pandemic, um, is a new world that I'd like to talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that as an investor in early stage companies, I'm seeing that, you know, as part of a, a, you know, board of a um, a mobility company, essentially, that's what AAA is, is Mm -hmm. is, we're really thinking about the future of mobility, is how the virtual and the physical world emerge, because we need both. I mean, I think if you talk to anybody, and I'm sure your listeners would agree, um, the whole um, eight-hour Zoom meeting really is nauseating. It yeah. just is not sustainable, right? Mm. Um, and 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 being in the office 100% of the time for most people is not sustainable either, which is why there's such a backlash in, in you know, companies that really force people to go back, including, lastly, um, Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Musk yesterday, I think, uh, <laughs> said people to come to the office or go home. Um, 
so so I think we need to talk about that um, with respect to experience overall, mm-hmm. whether it's for employees, whether it's for physicians, whether it's for um, patients, customers, um, and and all along. And and I have a perspective there. You know, happy to discuss that as well. The Champions of Growth podcast explores the various aspects of the ANA growth agenda with the goal of helping marketing leaders create a stronger, more sustainable economic future for their brands. With topics ranging from brand safety and ad fraud to marketing organization, host Matthew Schwartz discusses the topics that matter with our industry's foremost leaders. Check out ana.net slash podcast to learn more. I forget who said this to me, but I really liked it. Uh, the The pandemic kind of pulled everybody's five year plans through a six week window, um, mm-hmm. and we're all just kind of on the other side of that, trying to find our footing again. Uh, one question that I wanted to ask that you kind of touched on, but I'd like to go a little bit deeper into: digital accessibility is now table stakes, no matter mm-hmm. what your vertical is. Period. Um, but as you said, we're kind of slowly things are getting a little safer, a little quote unquote more back to normal, but where do you see expectations and behavior wise? Do you see there being a possible kind of pendulum swing back to it where we've all been cooped up so long that human to human connection and in-person activations will have kind of a renaissance or is that now, you know, are we, completely in a hybrid world where do you think the consumer mindset's going to be in the next few years uh when things finally kind of calm down well that's a million dollar question actually a multi-billion dollar question if you ask mr zuckerberg because i mean essentially the whole rebranding of facebook to meta and going to this uh, virtual reality world has been a bet that this will be not only a permanent one, um, but also that people are going to need to have this virtual world that has to not only resemble, but hopefully um, look a lot better, you know, mm-hmm. be a, a flawless version of the real world. And the verdict is out um, as to how uh, much that bet is going to be successful. I can share with you my personal point of view. I would love it. Um, and um, and then we can we can bet on it uh, and see and see and check on it uh, in a couple of years. But listen, if you want to predict future, I think you always have to look back at the history and human behavior. Absolutely. And I think by and large, um, we as as human beings, our behavior, our needs, our wants. Um, while it has evolved through the evolutions, it hasn't really uh, uh, jumped in, a, uh, in, a, in any significant way to make us a completely different creature that could survive in a completely different world. So I personally do not bet on a pure virtual or a pure digital kind of outcome, 100% or near 100%, you know, for eternity type of thing. I think brands that really understand what um, motivates, inspires, and connects with their customers uh, are the ones that are going to win. A good friend of mine is a VP of retail at Amazon, and she essentially built the whole Amazon fashion and the Mm. grocery store, all of that. Very cool. 
and um, and they just launched um, their first physical retail space and Wayfair actually funny enough during the pandemic um, uh, bet on physical space hmm. they were playing with that before the pan like at the beginning of the pandemic but now they're going all in is because at the end of the day nothing is is replacing the kind of that uh, connection the flesh and the uh, the uh, body of of connecting with people and really seeing them and feeling them holistically now it's not that the pendulum is going to swing all the way back absolutely not what's interesting is to bring the the best and the greatest tools and technologies that really worked virtually you know in the digital world and put it at the in the service of the customers in the physical world. And I think that will mm -hmm. be the nirvana. Imagine, I mean, walking around, you know, your favorite store, you know, I don't know, a, a retail store, whichever is Nike or whatever you like, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, seeing how a particular shoe or clothes or whatever is going to look on you and be able to like just send it home right then and there as opposed to carrying the bags. Or I mean, those are like even yeah. the basic stuff. Um, but I think a lot of cool things can really come out of, you know, innovating and converging the physical and the virtual world. I worry about companies that are trying to push consumers one way or another. I think, I think you, I think, I think honestly, and as a marketer, when I put the marketer hat on, it's just going to be trickier and more expensive probably mm -hmm. uh, for marketers to be everywhere essentially. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Yeah, because it's presence. Like you can't go hunting people down. You can't, exactly, you can't tell them how to behave. You just need to be where they are. And we're just going to keep becoming a more diverse planet of people. And we're all going to want to go to where we want to go. Um, something you touched on, and I think I agree with you 100% on uh, being a little bit skeptical of a fully meta world you know, at any point in the future, I'm reading this fantastic book right now called Atomic Habits by James Clear. I could not recommend it highly enough. Yeah, love that book. Yeah. But he touches on the fact that over the last hundred years, you know, we've gotten commercial planes and cars and the internet and phones and mobile, and our brains have evolved about, you know, 0.00000001% in that time. You know, we've spent the vast majority of our species existence as Homo sapiens sapien, um, you know, in a in a survival mode. And our brains just aren't keeping up with technology advances. And so, yeah, I think, A, we're all not supposed to be doom scrolling. If you're listening to this while looking at Instagram, you get off Instagram, you pay attention, listeners. Um, <laughs> but we're not, yeah, doom scrolling is no good for your brain. So a fully immersive metaverse that you never leave or rarely leave, um, I can't imagine our brains will respond too well to that. So I think you're 100% right, is that it's more about the possibilities and if I want to step into the metaverse and purchase something, it needs to be there and the, the experience needs to be incredible, but you're not going to be able to divert all money away from in-person things and human to human connection. That's just never, ever going away. So I'm kind of on your side. of Yeah. This. Yeah. I mean, just to build on what you, um, uh, the, the excerpt that you got from the book, 
all these technologies um, have really helped us. They have been additive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They haven't been comp- competing or replacing or, or um, supplementing um, either our behavior or our, uh, or our being, uh, mm-hmm. per se. But it has been additive. And there is a place and time that you might want to, I mean, for example, video shopping with your friends is very popular in China. It's one of the, actually, they're, they're advancing some of those social, digital, transformational type of innovations way ahead Absolutely. of the U.S., but by the way, there is a reason for that. And, and I say that because I come from a you know, third, world, third world country that doesn't have the kind of um, freedom or, you know, it's not, a, you know, I didn't grow up in a very open culture. Mm-hmm. Social media is far more popular and far more innate in people's lives there than it is in the U.S. because there is very little great alternative from an experience perspective. People actually need to kind of turn to social. And so China, for example, or countries that, uh, that really benefit from um, consumers um, taking pleasure and really experimenting in the virtual world are a little bit more advanced. I think in the US in particular, um, these tools have to really be um, additive and augmenting the physical experience for it to make sense for the end consumer. And I think, you know, we have made a a ton of progress from that perspective. And there's still brands that are, you know, following their industries like healthcare or like mobility um, that are far behind. But in the next, you know, five or 10 years, I think we're going to see significant um, progress there. I think different countries might have a little bit different experiences. I still don't think it will, even in China or in the Middle East, it's going to be a complete kind of um, virtual world, but it's, it probably will have more emphasis, um, mm-hmm. as you can probably imagine, um, than it would in the U.S. But, but in the U.S., I think the, the bar is higher in that you want to have a seamless experience moving from the virtual whether it's a metal type experience to a digital to an in-store to a phone or a text conversation with a voice conversation which is now kind of i mean we are talking about web3 here right Mm -hmm. we are not talking about the two-dimensional the foundational kind of internet we're talking about an added dimension to that again emphasis on added and not replacing Mm -hmm. is to really bring it to life and give it a three-dimensional holistic and you know augmented kind of experience that i think is very very exciting and you know vcs are going there There there's a ton of startups uh, certainly with crypto and like you know the uh the virtual currency also just you know enabling people to move back and forth between the physical and that virtual so i think it's inevitable Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not a zero sum you know zero one type of um situation really well said and actually kind of feeds into the next thing I'd like to chat about is that we're seeing all of this tech enabled evolution of the customer experience but there's a growing dichotomy we we talked about this in earlier conversations between that evolving tech enabled customer experience and the realities and uncertainties of a volatile market 
Uh, can you explain what you're seeing to our listeners and kind of the challenge that that presents to marketers today and moving into the future? I mean, do you mean from a marketer perspective? Like a yeah, I mean, perspective? Mm -hmm. exactly. Like the, 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 the tech evolutions are creating all of these possibilities and customers are interested, but their expectations are already sky high from the best in class and in industries. And at the same time, marketing budgets are shrinking. Uh, the, the market goes this way and that way. We talked about Web3, that it went from being the star of Super Bowl ads to uh, one of the more severe crashes in the history yeah. of cryptocurrency. How does a marketer kind of keep their eye on the ball in this sort of environment? That's a million dollar question. If I answer that question, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on this show. I was probably uh, on my way to Mars or something. You know? yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, uh, I was hoping that you'd have an answer so we could all, we could just spin up something exactly. billionaires by next week. And you know. exactly. Um, well, I, I, I'm happy to share my uh, kind of point of view. I think the job of a marketer, and I mean this wholeheartedly, not only hasn't been easy during the digital kind of transformation over the past five or seven years, it actually has been a very tough one. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like my role in a way was under attack from different aspects of the organizations that I have, you know, been part of, not in a bad way, but it's like this cooperation internally, mm -hmm. right? You have it, and they're all, especially in large organizations, you have all these different silos. You have the IT that is also going through a major transformation. IT today looks very differently than it was 10 years ago. Absolutely. Give, thank you, cybersecurity and, you mm -hmm. know, all those things. And then, and then there is the birth of this digital organization also. Uh, and then the sales organization has evolved. So then marketing is in, is in the midst of all of this. The budgets have to go to all these other areas, budgets haven't grown like, you know, three folds or anything. To your point, they have been, if anything, you have to do more with less. And so marketing, having been traditionally considered a cost center, just keeps, you know, getting less and less. And I right. was, you know, I was, I was the, on the receiving end of that. The other thing that's happening with respect to marketing is that as we talk about CX, customer experience, digital, multi-channel experience or omni-channel experiences. There is a lot of discussion and sometimes friction internally in organization as to who's responsible for that. Mm -hmm. Is it a digital organization? Is it, is it the IT organization? Is it the marketing organization? And I know I'm not answering your question directly, but I want to emphasize this because I think it will hit a nerve with, with listeners. It's a very tough situation. And I've read articles that really talks about you know, the, the eroding role of a CMO, like, are we there, mm -hmm. you know, because you have the chief customer officer, you have the chief product officer, you have the chief digital officer, right? Yep. Um, the CTO and the CI, like how many of these chiefs are we going to need in order to really deliver a delightful, frictionless customer experience? Right? Yes, that's um, so, so true. And then how do we collaborate, right? How do we make sure that we are on all on one kind of roadmap and so there is, there is all of that is happening. So I can tell you about all these, you know, um, technologies and, you know, uh, interesting trends that are happening, but I, I think we have to also pay attention to what's happening internally in organizations because it, it's a mm. little bit of a, it's not very harmonic and there's always yes. competition and there's always 
those frictions internally, but I think the job of a marketer is harder nowadays than it was before. I have been accustomed to building product teams within marketing. So I have always been um, uh, kind of formulating the marketing organization very much connected to product. And so I've done that in large organizations that didn't really sell, you know, digital products. So it was easier, but I can only imagine that with some of the startups that are, you know, going public or, you know, they're growing up, you know, really who kind of owns that CX becomes a big question mark. And I think having recently talked to a number of uh, executive recruiters, one of their biggest jobs is to coach and help organizations with the, with the right org model. Uh, mm-hmm. that essentially, um, for lack of a better word, explicitly uh, defines alignment between either different parts of the organization or puts uh, either the marketing and the digital under uh, chief customer officer or a product and um, digital under the CMO. So there are all these different models that time shows, and I think the answer is different for every organization. Uh, that can help organization evolve and be more customer centric. Mm. Yeah, you actually, you just asked, answered a question I was going to ask if you think that this should be, you know, squarely under marketing's purview, or if it's a thing where you really need to look at the organization and the personnel and the kind of legacy and what, what you do. And you just answered it, that it's the latter. And I, highly suspected it, but I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it uh, because I think well, that's something. Yeah. Right. Go for it. Please, please. Sorry. <laughs> Don't well, be. Um, I think, I think it depends on where the company is, like what phase, if you're talking about mm. the startup mm-hmm. and I'm talking, I'm advising startups at the early stages, you know, uh, even all the way to series C, they don't look at marketing really as, I mean, they, have, they look at marketing really focus on demand generation. Right. That's mostly what it is with, with some brands there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really after they raise, you know, the post product market fit, significant validation in the market, really expanding the, um, the share of wallet within existing customer base that they start thinking about a solid like marketing organization with an experienced kind of a CMO type of person. And even there, um, the agenda between the product and the marketing has to be very much integrated. Um, I think when you look at the larger organizations, you know, we are talking about Fortune 500, Fortune 100, it looks quite differently. Mm. Um, You obviously have a CMO CPO actually is probably a newer uh, kind of title that may be coming in. And sometimes it's not in the form of a chief product officer, it's probably a chief digital officer. Right. And, and a lot of times, I think the model that I've seen work is either digital be part of marketing or marketing and digital be part of um, the customer experience um, mm. umbrella. And I think CVS, for example, did a beautiful job um, Michelle Peluso uh, being the chief customer officer, really owning the digital roadmap, the marketing roadmap, and anything operational that is related to that, um, and also um, really uh, being close to data and data science. So long way of answering your question, I think, depending on the size of the organization and where they are in their maturity, the answer might be different. Um, But I may have a bias. I think marketing is always 
responsible for uh, really that last mile mm-hmm. and understanding the customer mindset and where they are headed before, before the customer is, is going there and really informing and reverse engineering the steps from a product perspective, from experience perspective, um, and uh, you know, from a technologies that really enable that experience and really communicate and align the different roadmaps across the organization so that um, they can deliver a frictionless and delightful experience for the customer. I love that. I love that. And I think you're right that, you know, marketers need to be the champions of the customer. And uh, that means that they need to be involved in the customer experience, whether directing it, informing it, or advocating for it. But yeah, I think that it really, whether or not marketing's in charge of it is one thing, but uh, Mm -hmm. I think marketing needs to be absolutely passionately obsessed with it. Uh, kind of regardless of where your Love organization's it. at. Love it. Absolutely. ANA Marketing Futures and Demand Metric are proud to present the Future of Marketing Report, A Road to Hypergrowth. Our research revealed two starkly different groups of marketers, hypergrowth marketers who are poised to win in the short and long term, and laggard marketers who are adrift in a sea of uncertainty and stagnancy. This report is aimed to capture and share crucial insights that will help all marketers prepared for the future, regardless of their sophistication and the uncertainty that transcends the world. To get your copy, visit ana.net slash hypergrowth. Shiva, before we um, get to the questions that we ask all of our guests, I've got one probably multi-million dollar question left. Um, but I just want to talk about it. And this is something, a journey you and I, uh, are really just on the very first steps of, um, but all that we've talked about today, uh, the constant, uh, changes and uncertainties, not only driven by technology, but driven by just the world we live in, uh, the economic factors around the world, uh, the changes in customer behaviors and mindsets. We need a new playbook for marketing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the old playbook is just, I think right now it's almost detrimental. Uh, you know, instead of no value added, I think it's it's leaving people stuck in a world that really doesn't exist anymore. So while we, you know, we are we are on a journey to really fully truly answer this and deliver that playbook to A and A members, uh, right now, wh- what do you envision? What do you kind of see? Like, what must that playbook do? How about let's that? Oh, God. What must that playbook do? Yes, 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 yes. I'm so passionate about this topic. Mm -hmm, And and I'm glad to have found you who's equally passionate about it. So we are going to, listeners, uh, be be on the lookout because something really awesome is going to happen here. But just a short version of answering that question Mm -hmm. is marketers are really essential in terms of spearheading all the tools and capabilities um, at their disposal in order to help companies continuously transforming themselves. And when I say transforming, I'm not talking about a digital transformation or a customer experience transformation, like in a journey transformation. No, 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 no. We're Mm -hmm. talking about business model transformation because if the recent past has been any evidence 
of the fact that change is constant. I have news for you. Going from, I don't know, print to digital, as was my example earlier uh, for Wall Street Journal or any kind of news agency, or going from in-store to digital to coming back and creating this uh, you know, hybrid kind of experience, business models, irrespective of what industry um, and what size of a company and where in the world you are continuously transform. And that's the beauty of it, because as a corporate, as, a, as an organ, you know, these are living, breathing things and they constantly evolve. And marketing is in a very important and I cannot emphasize that in a leading position to not only have a seat at the table with, you know, at the ELT executive leadership uh, table, but really spearheading that business model transformation because you see everything in the organization. You know, you see what's happening in IT and, you know, some of the kind of very project-based transformational things that are happening there. You see what's happening in digital or product. Um, and it's mostly about, you know, timelines and delivering the next iteration of the product. But you're in this midst and you're really close to the customer. You're looking at the competitors. I mean, that's your job. You're looking at where, you know, the customers are getting their cues about their expectations that's constantly evolving. And it's your job. And I would say it's your, the most important part of your job to really inform, but also not just educate, but really instigate continuous change and evolution with respect to uh, the next iteration of the business model for the, for the company. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that um, uh, some of the CMOs that I have uh, come across with or followed, et cetera, do a better job at, and some really don't see that as part of their job. Um, and I think that's a problem. It's, a, it's, it's probably the most important, the most the best kept secret part of mm -hmm. a CMO's job. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I really think you just nailed it. Uh, and there's one word that you use that I really want to highlight because I love it and I think it's perfect. Instigate. I think marketers forget that we're supposed to be the troublemakers in organization because I think if you're not in that state, you're in the process of being left behind right now. Forget the future. Uh, Shiva, if it's okay with you, I'd like to take a slight left turn uh, in the podcast and ask you some questions that we ask every single one of our guests. That sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Wonderful. Uh, this next question we leave open-ended purposefully because we really just want to get your thoughts on this. So uh, what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? I'm hopeful. Um, but cautiously, I mm. think there is a lot of talk and not a lot of walk. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and that makes me really sad. Um, just adding someone of a diverse background as a chief diversity, equity and inclusion doesn't really do it. Mm -hmm. um, if you really want to get somewhere, you have to make that as part of the metrics, um, very much like a business metrics that you're measuring and incentivizing across the entire organizations, top to bottom. Um, and, and even with the partners that you work with, like, mm -hmm. you know, we are not going to hire vendors that do not respect and or follow a certain metric uh, with respect to diversity inclusion. And so I think, um, you know, so far there is good momentum, but it's mostly window dressing from what I'm observing. Some companies are going deeper than others, but by and large, I think we have a lot of work ahead of us. 
I could not agree with you more. Um, and I just love that you kind of included that it really, this it just doesn't include the organization. It really includes the ecosystem of how your business operates, the partners, their mm -hmm. cultural things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. All right, Shiva, this is the question of the podcast coming up. You know, we were talking about, you know, little things like the entire future of marketing and consumer expectations and experience, you know, small, simple stuff. But here yeah. we go. <laughs> here we go. Shiva Mehrosaini, what is your favorite album of all time and why? Mm -hmm. um, um, I, the song that I love the most of all time is Eye of the Tiger. It's mm. uh, Survivor. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, my uh, my son and I, who's his his five year old, and he's obsessed with tigers. And so we, um, since he was almost three years old, he he sang the song. Just you know, and so yeah, it's that our is, favorite. That is very song. adorable. And it's the Eye of the Tiger is off the uh, album Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. So that could be there you uh, go. your favorite song and your favorite album all in one jump. So let's bring it up to the current day. Is there uh, something you're listening to now, whether it's a song or an artist, a podcast, maybe even a book, uh, but what is exciting you today? Oh boy. Um, a, a couple of books that I really want to recommend to the listeners. Um, mm -hmm. I, and I posted something about it. There's a book called Reboot. And um, it, it's really about... Um, one man's journey to find himself and figuring out you know his worthiness in this world i think all of us one way or another at some point in our lives for me it has happened many many times mm -hmm. uh, you know asking ourselves am i worthy enough what am i doing am i doing enough am i showing up in the world to the fullest extent that i can and so i really love that book i learned a great deal um, Thinking Fast and St Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Love, love, love. Couldn't emphasize it enough. It's a, it's a significant, it's a very rich book. Highly recommended. I recently read a book called Thinking in Bets um, by Annie Duke. She's a renowned poker player and she talks about her lessons in life uh, from the poker table applied to VC to, um, you know, just decision making as an executive, which I really, oh, I really love. That. And what I'm reading right now is a book called High Conflict uh, by Amanda uh, Ripley. And it's a really good book, especially nowadays that we're talking about gun control, you know, safety of our children, abortion, women's rights. And there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of kind of competing agendas. Um, I think actually the book addresses a lot of issues within an organization, like how to manage conflicts and crises and me versus you or us versus them type of mm. thing and it's it's it, it really has a nice playbook to that which i think um your listeners or anybody really could uh, learn a few things and apply into their everyday work that is wonderful uh listeners you've got your summer reading list now <laughs> so if you next time you see shiva or you uh see her posting on uh linkedin thank her be be you know be well-behaved listeners I've, <laughs> I've, i speak so highly to of, of you all to uh every one of the guests so 
Um, Shiva, before we uh, sign off, uh, if people want to, you know, know more about you, see what you're doing, what, what's the best way to kind of stay tuned to your moves? Oh, um, thanks for asking. I think, you know, LinkedIn is probably um, where I'm most active. Um, mm -hmm. So you can just follow me on LinkedIn. I have posts, I have writings, I have uh, book recommendations, etc. Um, I'm also launching a podcast, um, which, um, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you will learn more about. So I'm going to talk about women game changers, um, in healthcare and beyond. Um, and so I'm going to bring, um, to, uh, uh, to a table, hopefully as mighty as yours, Michael, um, uh, women that I know in my network that I'm really at all of um, the things that they are doing and the way they are changing and shaping the world around us. Um, I'm, I would be very humble to have those conversations. And um, I have quite a bit to learn from you, Michael, to again, bring to that table. So that's another thing that your listeners uh, can learn more about in the future. Oh, later this gonna, year. You're going to blast right past me. You're going to be on your third episode and have uh, <laughs> 10 times my listenership. No, I can't wait for it. I think we're all looking forward to that. I know you're going to be a fantastic host and I'm, of course, always at your disposal if you need a tip or two from a grizzled old podcasting veteran like myself. Oh, uh, thank you. Shiva, this has been such an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.